As we uh, complete the Holy Days, from Thanksgiving to Advent through Hanukkah, Christmas, and now Epiphany, I've been addressing uh, the idea of hyperlinks in, the, uh, in a series related to those. And I wanted to conclude with one last major theme, the theme of light. Now, when we do Advent, I get the chance to talk about each of those things. When we do uh, Hanukkah or when we do uh, other things, I get to talk about them. But when we get to the lighting of the Christ candle, we do it either in our homes or we do it here as the candlelight service. We've been singing the hymns, we light the candles, we light our own candle, and, and we're kind of done. And there's no real place for a sermon to talk about the light that entered into the world. Light is a major biblical theme, and throughout the scriptures, light is used in many ways to express and symbolize spiritual truths. So I want to talk about in Epiphany, in the appearing, the, the light of the world in that sense. Now, Israel is called a light to the Gentiles in the scriptures. The scriptures themselves are called a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Jesus says that he is the light of the world in John's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, we, talking first to Israel and then to us by extension, are the light of the world. All of these ceremonies that we have just done with the lighting of the Advent candles and then the lighting of the Hanukkah menorah and the other menorahs when we do the menorah services, uh, the lighting of the Christ candle, the Shamash candle, all of those things that we light are reminders. Advent and Hanukkah were reminded that Israel as the people of God are a revelation of light to the nations. The Shamash candle in Hanukkah and the Christ candle of Christmas remind us that Jesus came as a servant to save us and to be the light of the world. And the candlelight service that we have on Christmas Eve reinforces that the light has come to us, that idea of each of us lighting our own candle, uh, and that we in turn have come to the light. So Epiphany, the appearing, reminds us that Jesus appeared by God's grace to bring us salvation. But what does that imply? Is it just, well, it's a dark time of year, we'll use light, or is there more to it? So I want to uh, read a text that we read every year at the end of our candlelight service. Uh, and even though it doesn't mention light, there's a reason that we do that one. It's Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. This morning we sang Amazing Grace. Uh, all of these things tie together. And if you're paying attention, they make sense to you. If you're not, they can go past you very quickly. Um, and, you, and you can miss them. So in Titus, the Apostle Paul says this. The grace of God has appeared. There's what Epiphany is about. The appearance. Bringing salvation to all. All mankind. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing, now again the word appearing, 
of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now, it's important to catch this. Let me finish the verse. He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, every violation of the commandments, and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So, this appearance again shows the connection between the first coming and the second coming. The first appearance is for a purpose. And that purpose is found in bringing us salvation and instructing us. Now it's interesting, this word instructing is a word that means the training of a child. What we do is we take a child and we try to raise them so that they will be able to function appropriately in the world. And that's exactly what it says here. It says that it is instructing us as a child to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Interesting. Part of the biblical text and the appearing of Jesus is here to instruct us how to live in this age. Not just prepare us for heaven, not just put us on layaway, but to actually prepare us to live in this world, but not of this world. And that's really what the context of this is about. It's a separation from the ungodly and worldly desires... We know that in Romans chapter 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove, demonstrate, what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So there is a separation from the world that's being not in it, not of it, I mean, we're in it, obviously, Um, But then the scripture says that we're to live sensibly. Interesting. The world doesn't live sensibly. The world that Paul was speaking of was a pagan world. And they allowed their pagan theology, because they, they were not atheists in that sense. They believed in gods. They believed that the gods affected their emotions... And the gods affected their circumstances. And so, whatever was going on in how you felt, in your, in your sensuality, and in your circumstances, became how you lived your life. And Paul says, we're not going to live that way. We're not going to live in the context of our passions, We're not going to live in the context of our circumstances. We're going to live a different way. And so, that's somewhat different for us now because we don't live in a pagan world. For the most part, Judaism and Christianity got rid of paganism in the Western world. But in the modern world, what replaced it ultimately uh, was secularism. And secularism with its modern behavioral sciences, to a large extent have reframed and reinterpreted 
that we are to live navigating appropriately through our circumstances based on how we feel. And so we're back to the same structures, but we're not blaming the gods for it. We're blaming the true self. We're blaming uh, who I am, you know, who my identity is, or what I think of me, all of that. It's now a secular form, but it's the same old thing. The world lives by their passions and by their circumstances, and we're not to live that way. We're to live sensibly. Now, what does the word sensibly mean? The word sensibly uh, is a word that means having a sound mind. It means that this mind that has been transformed so that it's not doing it the way the world does it. There are really only two options. You can follow the way the world does it or you can follow the way God says to live. Or you can do something that James talks about and that's the person who's double-minded. Their mind is focused on the world and focused on the kingdom. And the Bible says that a double... <coughs> it's got to happen every, every sermon. The, uh, I'll be called the sneezing prophet, right? <laughs> the the, uh, the double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Why are they unstable? They're living by two value systems. There's a value system that says, I will look at what God says and I will train my mind to be in agreement with what God says, whether I like it or not, whether I feel it or not, and I will volitionally obey God. And then there is the mind that says, well, I want to obey God, but I want this. I need this. I feel this. My circumstances tell me to do this. And that person who's trying to navigate both of those things is unstable. What does that mean? What kind of instability? Well, if you have ever been in a car driving and had two different people telling you the directions, but they have two different ways of going somewhere, you know what that instability is. You can hardly think with them saying, you got to turn left, no, go two more blocks and then turn left. No, you got to turn left, right? And pretty soon you don't know, you can't, you can't even tell what you think, right? That's the instability that James is talking about. People who live in the world, in the culture, and try to live in the scriptures, and try to navigate the two of them to get the best out of both. But our word is not best out of both. Our, world, our word is balance. I'm balancing what I have to do in this world with what the scriptures tell me. That's the same thing. It's a compromise in that context. You either are going to live by kingdom values or you're going to live by worldly values. If you live by a mix, you become unstable. So, he says we are to live with a sound mind. And that is a mind that's renewed by the word of God so that we're living by the values and the commandments of the scriptures rather than emotions and circumstances. And then he says, what we're going to end up doing is living righteous and godly. That is doing what is right in the mind of God. Not what the world says is right. Not what our group says is right. 
but what God says is right. And so uh, living what is right in the eyes of God is critical. Now the Bible refers to this kind of living. You notice the word light is not in that Titus passage. So why are we doing it at a candlelight service? Because of the appearance. The appearance of Jesus who is the light. Who will return and bring light into all the creation. He is the one that we are to come to. He says, "The man, I am the light of the world. If a man comes to me, he will not walk in darkness and he won't stumble. So the idea is that the appearing only appears if there is light present. Okay, So that brings us to a major passage related to walking in the light, which is in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick it up at verse 5. Though Paul is talking about how we walk, how we live, how we behave as imitators of God uh, in that context. So in verse 5 he says, For you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Now what he's saying is, we know with certainty that amazing grace is not for the purpose of sinning that grace may abound. Somewhere in the evangelical world, we have succumbed to a doctrine that faith, independent of all other things, brings salvation that maintains us in the midst of almost total rebellion to God. And Paul says, we know with certainty that's not true. People who walk habitually, directly in sin are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And all the doctrines of eternal security and Calvinism in the world won't change what the scriptures say. It will change how we interpret it. We can say someone lost their salvation. We can say someone uh, is manifested and if they don't have it, it still ends up the same thing. So, Paul starts with that. And then he says, in verse 6, For you were formerly darkness... He doesn't say you were in darkness. He says you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then he tells us what that walk looks like. For the fruit of the light. Notice, he's not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He's talking about the fruit of the light. Probably never heard much about the fruit of the light. Why does he use the word fruit? Because a tree... That is a fruit tree, for the most part, when it is immature, produces no fruit. When it's immature, what it's doing is it's putting in its root system and it's growing up. But once it's a mature tree, it will manifest what kind of tree it is by its fruit. So, once we move into maturity as believers, the fruit of the Spirit 
and the fruit of being children of light are to be manifest. So what is that fruit? Well, he tells us, it consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, this is easier to remember than the fruit of the Spirit, right? There's only three, so this is a good thing to to, to teach us. Fruit of the Spirit consists of goodness. This is a word, it's an interesting word, it's not used very much. It's not just a word that means good, but it means uh, good in the sense of beneficial. Not to us, but to others. So the idea is that the light, if you are walking in the light... Yes, you're not going to stumble, but you're going to be a benefit to others. Because there are others who are in the light, but they're blind. And you can help them along the way. So, part of our good works, part of our behavior, is to be light in the sense of goodness towards other people. The second thing he says is just action. Doing the right thing. That's what righteousness is here. It's not doing the right thing the way the world says right and wrong. It's doing the right thing again as God says this is the right thing to do. And where do we find that? We find that in the commandments of God and in the teachings of Jesus. Uh, And yet we have a doctrine that basically says we don't have to follow that. We just have to believe. When the reality is uh, we have to struggle with obedience. The third one is an interesting one. He says that it's not only goodness, and it's not only doing right, but it is truth. This is a difficulty. The word truth in our culture does not have the same meaning as it has in the scriptures. If you take the word truth and you search it throughout the scriptures, it tends to have a singular meaning. There are some slight variances with some words, but overwhelmingly it is referring to one of two things. That which God has revealed and the person of Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That revelation of truth means that which God has told us. We use the word truth differently. If somebody says that something is four feet tall and we measure it and it's three and a half feet tall, we say that's not the truth. But if it is four feet tall, we say that's the truth. So we use the word truth in referring to accurate knowledge. The Bible doesn't use the word truth that way. We use the word truth as being honest. Do you really like it? Yeah, I really. it's true, I like it. Okay, So we use the word truth as being honest. The Bible doesn't use the word truth as being honest. Because I could be honest about something and be inaccurate and uncorrect. And incorrect. And worst of all, in this postmodern world, we use the word truth for our opinion. Do you like my new hairstyle? 
Yeah, I love it. Really? Yeah, it's the truth. What? It's just my personal opinion about your hairstyle. Now, the danger here is that many times when the Bible tells us to speak truth to one another, to be to to uh, live in truth, we think it means in integrity and in honesty and in, as we used to say in the 60s, let it all hang out. You know, just tell them what you think. That is not the biblical walking in truth. Walking in truth means that we are walking in accordance with what God has revealed in His Word and what Jesus, who is the truth, has taught. So, in Psalm 119.105, we have this passage that you all know. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's a fascinating statement. And if you've ever had to use a flashlight or a lamp, you understand something. If you are walking in darkness... And you get that lamp away from your feet or your path, you can still trip. Oh, I got the light. I got. When you're looking in the light, that none of that does any good. The light has a purpose. Its purpose is to illuminate your feet so you don't step where you shouldn't, and show you the next few steps of the path so you stay on it. That's what the scriptures are for. The scriptures are the lamp to our feet. Where am I standing and how am I doing? And where am I going? In order for that light to work, you have to put it inside. You have to know it. You have to study it. You have to memorize it. You can't do that by carrying a Bible and saying, well, what do I, what's my next step? You can't do it that way. You have to internalize the scriptures. You have to read them. You have to talk about them. You have to speak the truth with one another so that we are, we are filled with the word of God. That's why he said, write it on your doorposts. Put it on your walls. Speak about it when you get up. Speak about it when you get lie down. All this stuff. These words have to be on your heart, in your inner being. They have to transform your mind so that your sound mind is walking according to the scriptures. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, we have a statement here that I began. He says, verse, not, verse 10. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, if you're a good memorizer of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, should have triggered in your mind. How do I please the Lord? Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. For those who trust Him must believe that He is and that He's rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Two aspects of faith. Trusting God in what He said. You can't trust God if you don't know what He said. Right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
People always say, I have faith in God. For what? Oh, for this, for that, a new job. That's not faith. That's presumption. If God doesn't say something, we can't trust Him for it. That's just a, a request. And you can request all you want, but a good parent isn't going to give you something that you shouldn't have or they don't want you to have, right? So the, the issue is God says, this is who I am and this is how I act. Trust me. This is what I'm doing. So one aspect of faith is simply hearing what God says and saying, okay, God, I trust that you are who you say you are. Those who come to God must believe that he is. But also that he's a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. Seek what? To please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So what is pleasing to the Father? That we walk in his ways. Now, every parent knows that. When your kids are walking the way you want them to, you are pleased with them. And when they're not walking the way you want to, you're less than happy with them. Right? So, faith has two aspects. Trusting God for who He is and a trustful obedience. God says to do it this way. Everything around me says something else, but I'm going to do it His way. I was uh, driving my dad's car one time and I had to get some oil. And I went to the service station. Those are in the days when they would do the, put a quart of oil in for you. They'd wash your windows. They'd pump your gas. They gave you green stamps. And they also gave you uh, china if you filled up. And, and gas was like 21 cents a gallon, 22 cents a gallon. It's pretty costly. So, the guy said, you're a quart low. And I said, well, give me some oil. And then he went to go get the oil. And I got out of the car and I ran. And I said, it's got to be 30 weight. He said, multi-weight's good. No multi-weight. 30 weight. Now, why was I doing that? Well, it was my dad's car. And my dad had a rule. And that was, no oil goes in his car except 30 weight Pennzoil. So 30-weight Pennzoil was what I put in that car, both out of fear of my father, and I knew he would, if he said, how was the car? Well, it needed a quart of oil. What would you put in it? Pennzoil 30-weight. Good job, right? He was pleased. Very hard to please my dad. That was a good thing. Okay? When you do it his way, he is pleased. Faith pleases God when it's obedient to God. Hey, Dad, I found out about this new oil that's really great, so I put it in the car. Aren't you happy? No. God, I found this way that I'm going to do great things for you. Aren't you happy? No. I told you what to do. Does this make sense? So, he then says to us in verses 11 through 13, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which were done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. 
That's amazing. Now this is physics. You guys think you're seeing me, and I think I'm seeing you, and the truth is, we're not seeing each other. We're seeing light reflected off of each other, and if one of the kids turned out the light right now, and that thing was covered, we wouldn't be able to see each other, even though we're here. When the light comes in, the light hits us, reflects off of us, goes to our eyes, so the truth is, the only thing that's visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So yes, we're the light of the world, but we're only the light of the world when the light of Christ is shining on us, and it shines on us when we trust God and we walk in obedience to Him. So I have one more passage. I told you I could get this done at the right time. The children will not be ready, but we'll see how that goes. 1 John chapter 1. First John 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message which we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We're not being obedient to the commandments of God. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. What an incredible thing. We have... A opportunity. Every time there's a new semester, every time there's a new year, every time there's a new anything, human beings tend to have a sense that this is a good time to get our act in order, right? And so we're at the beginning of a year that's going to be gone in about two weeks, if it's anything like last year, right? Uh, that's going to have some stumbling blocks ahead. It's going to have some difficulties. There's going to be some problems. We need to walk in the light as children of the light in goodness and doing right and in truth. And to do that, we're going to have to absorb that. That light first has to come to us. The Word of God has to come into us. It has to illuminate us. It has to... to Uh, hit us in such a way that it can be reflected in our behavior towards other people. If we walk in that light, and if we teach our children to walk in that light, then we will have fellowship with one another, and God, through His Son, will cleanse us of all sin. It's an amazing promise. God will not cleanse us to continue to walk in darkness. He cleanses us so that we will not be embarrassed in the light. As one scripture says, those who are of the light, come to the light, come into the light, so that their works might be seen as originating in God. 
In other words, we're doing what God has told us to do, not what our feelings and our circumstances and our culture tells us to do. The darkness is growing in this world. We must be children of light and we need our children to be children of light. It will be easy for them to miss it. You, you've walked with a flashlight that had very dim batteries. Right? Your batteries need to be charged. There's only one way to charge them. Read the text. Read the text. Read the text. Read the text. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Spirit of God is the power and the charge of that. We need the word and the Spirit ongoing in our life through our spiritual disciplines if we're going to walk as children of the light in an increasing darkness. So hopefully we will do that this year. Let's pray.